My guest today is Gaz Coombs. This is a very special episode to me because anyone who knows me or has listened to episodes of this podcast is probably aware of how much I love the band Supergrass. So I was so very grateful and excited that I got to chat to him while he was in Australia recently supporting Robbie Williams. Um, Unfortunately, our schedules didn't match up very well. He was in Brisbane while I was in Melbourne and then he was in Melbourne while I was in Brisbane. So we did this chat via Zoom, but it was so great and he was so nice and so very generous with his time. Um, there are a bunch of questions that he gets asked all the time, which I didn't want to ask him, such as, you know, will Supergrass play again? The answer to that is maybe. Will they record another record? I think the answer to that is no. Um, what happened to their unreleased album, Release the Drones? The answer to that is it didn't feel right while they were recording, so it won't get released. Um, and, you know, other things like I didn't get that. Uh, details of um, their offer from Steven Spielberg back in the day to make a monkeys type TV show but you can look all of that stuff up Um, what I did get to do was ask him about songwriting and lyrics and inspiration and there is a little bit more supergrass stuff towards the end so if you're here for that don't worry there is some supergrass stuff Um, but I enjoyed this chat so much and um, I've got to give you a tiny bit of context to a couple of bits Sometimes when I interview people, uh, mainly people um, who have come from overseas who are touring, um, if I have time, I make them a tiny felt version of their instruments. Just a little thank you for your time. So for Gaz, I made him his little green Burns guitar. Um, So I might see if I can add a little screen grab of him holding it in the photo. I also ended up sewing and sending him some drum tortillas that will make more sense once you listen to the chat. The amazing illustration for Gaz's hilarious show story was done by my dear friend Davy Lane because I don't know anyone who loves Supergrass more than Davy, except maybe me. Um, If you go back to the episode Davy and I recorded together, uh, I think it was episode number 56. We talk a bunch about our love for the band and our own little funny connections to them. So make sure you go back and listen to that one. And thank you so much, Davey. It's such a great illustration. Um, And as always, you can see all of these illustrations on Instagram at Hearsay Podcast or on the Hearsay Facebook page. If you want to make my day, please leave me a positive review on iTunes. It helps people be aware of the show. So if you have a second, please go and rate and review. And thank you, thank you, thank you if you do. I hope everyone's having a lovely festive season. This is episode number 93, very excitingly, with Gaz Coombs. How's your tour going? It's going good. Yeah, really good. Um, uh, yeah, we've you know been in Australia, I guess, what, like 10 days now? Mm. Um, so kind of, you know, almost halfway through. But um, yeah, really good so far. Done two two of our own shows, um, like sort of club shows, and then uh, uh, three supports uh, with, with Robbie um, in these big stadiums. <laughs> yeah. It must be so fun to do those big shows. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, they've sort of been 
they're just kind of different, you know, they're all a bit different, really. Each one's a bit different. Sydney, uh, the first one in Sydney at um, the Alliance Stadium was incredible, actually. That was, um, I don't know, something happened like on stage and, and we had a short set, it was like 35 minutes and we were all really jet lagged still. It was quite early in, in, in the tour. Um, but yeah, something, we played really well and and just kind of hit it hard and um, and the crowd reacted in, in a really cool way. I didn't really realise until I heard back some footage afterwards. I listened back and the crowd were were really loud after, you know, kind of the applause after the after one of the tracks. I can't remember later on in the set. It was, uh, yeah, it was quite a moment because you don't know, you know, when you're supporting, it depends on the, the artist you're supporting, but, you know, Robbie's going to have, I guess, you know, quite a sort of mainstream crowd, you know, and, mm. and, and maybe not necessarily, you know, my demographic uh, <laughs> of, of fans. So you just, you just, you just never know. I mean, not that that changes anything. It's really ex it's so exciting to do and to get on those big stages. And oh, for sure. I quite like, I quite like sort of winning people over. It's like, I don't, you know, um, think complacency is a dangerous thing. And so I think it's cool, cool to sort of be kept on your toes and, you know, um, regardless of any other success that I have here, you know, here and there or whatever, it's to play to tens of thousands and, and try and, you know, win them over is, is a cool thing. It's quite a mad challenge. Oh, totally. And so it worked. It worked in Sydney. Didn't work <laughs> so much in Brisbane. Oh, no. We played a, played a winery in Brisbane and um, it was a tricky one. Actually, the, no, the first, the first, we did two nights at this winery and the first one was good. Second one was a Sunday evening. Really early, we went up at like five five p.m. We went on Sunday evening, so um, either everyone had been hitting it hard all weekend, <laughs> or they all hadn't start, or they hadn't started drinking yet, maybe, and and, and yeah. it was just a bit bit of a sort of subdued vibe. Oh um, no, Brisbane can be so disappointing. I live, I'm in Brisbane, and sometimes I feel like the crowds here can be really difficult. Yeah, it, it's a great place though, you know, and we had fun, you know, it's cool. Oh, good. I wanted to tell you my my first memory of Supergrass because I have a really lovely connection. Um, my first band was signed to um, Modular Records, which is Steve Pav's label. And um, back then, it was maybe like 1999 or 2000, Steve Pav was touring a bunch of bands and he was a big tour promoter as well. Mm. And he gave us the choice between supporting either Supergrass or Stereolab on that tour. And we ended up supporting you guys and we played two shows with you. This was like 23 years ago, so don't expect you to remember anything. Oh, wow. Oh, that's so cool. But I have really amazing memories of it. It was so amazing to, to play with such a big professional band. And also, it was the first time my band had ever played in Melbourne and we supported you guys at the Forum, which was just at such a massive venue to right. a first-time yeah. little band. Um, yeah, I do remember actually. Yeah, and, wow. Uh, and my main memories of it were: first of all, you were all really lovely, um, but you were so pro. You sang more in tune than anyone I had, I had ever seen sing live, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I think you continue to do that, which is really great. I remember oh, cool. uh, when you go when you went backstage, you would smoke a spliff before the before the encore and then you would go out and play Lenny and you would do that really like extended intro that was just like, gin, 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 and everyone was just fucking loving it. 
Um, yeah, that was always like a game of chicken. The yeah. intro of Lenny. It's like we look at we look at who's going to break first. Yeah, because I mean, essentially, Danny Danny had control in that. As soon as he hit the the snare uh, to kind of start the song, but then we'd kind of it would be chicken. I'd be kind of going, yeah, and then <laughs> do it now. And I, you know, I'd, it was always quite funny. Yeah. Oh, that's such a cool memory. Nice one. I nice loved one. it so much, and I also remember like watching you guys really closely, and also I think you guys watched us and. I felt like that was just such a, you know, it's not really that necessary for for the big bands to do that. And I felt like that was a really beautiful, touching thing that, you know, you guys were, um, you were really kind. And um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, it was really yeah, cool. we do. Yeah, we like to, we like to always. Oh, yeah. It seems like there's no point us, you know, me being there. If I'm not going to kind of, you know, embrace the evening and see what's going on. Don't just, there's no point hiding out in the, in the dressing room yeah. tour bus kind of just you know be in the moment you know you're in a a different city you know miles away and traveling and it's sort of you know yeah it's it's oh that's cool yeah Good times. it's such a nice memory and you know i'm sure stereo lab we, we would have had nice memories there too but i'm always like so grateful that we went with supergrass <laughs> oh sweet i think you made a good choice <laughs> Um, also, I remember it's the first time I ever saw an Ebo, like you were doing the um, Mary with the Ebo and yeah. I was like, wow, what is that? And, you know, there was, I feel like my, I was, I think I was about 19 or something and I felt like my mind was really blown by watching you guys play and also like never really knowing if Danny was going to land his drum fills, you know, he's such an exciting mm. drummer to watch play. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. We did sort of seem to have this knack of, uh. I don't know, all landing on the one. And I, it's just a sort of magic, you know, you know, for all of our faults and, 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 you know, whatever, it's sort of those kind of quirks are quite kind of amazing, really, when you think about it. You know, doing these drum fills that, that, that would accelerate in tempo. Yeah. You know, you'd be in the middle of a, a chorus and then the drum fill would happen at, you know, like you know, 10 BPM faster yeah. or something. And then you'd, we'd still all land on the one. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, it's just that that kind of yeah, that kind of um, connection we had. You know? There's nothing more exciting than watching something where you're just like on the edge a tiny bit. But I've heard that your new band is also really amazing, and I'm really bummed that I didn't get to see it. Can you tell me a little bit about your the band that you have for your solo stuff? Yeah, I mean, we've been playing. I guess we've been playing in this kind of setup for. Um, I mean, I guess since 2015, um, uh, yeah, Nick actually, Nick on guitar, he's, he's, he's been around since 2012, mm. since my first solo record. And, um, so there's been a few sort of incarnations, but this one is, is, it's been, yeah, going since 2015. Just like, I don't know, firstly, an amazing group of people, you know, and, um, they've become really good friends and, uh, we're very close and, and um, I don't know, it's just that the, the dynamics are great between us and it's it just, um, it makes it a real pleasure to tour. Mm. Um, and that's a nice thing. You know, that's, that's sort of how I want it these days. You know, yes. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know. I've, I've done it, been doing it a long time and I don't, I don't have really any time for sort of weirdness or no, like, you know, weirdness. odd vibes no. or like, you know, <laughs> wondering what someone's feeling or any of that sort of stuff so it's just like yeah it's just kind of pure joy you know 
Um, yeah, and they're great, great people, great players as well. So, so talented. You know, they're all they're all multi-talented as well. It's crazy. Oh, that's awesome. You know, we've got uh, Tomo on the keys, who's an incredible sax player and, and um, you know, just super talented. And, and, and Mike on drums is just asking to play anything he's just he's just on it and um he's on fire at the moment actually i mean they're, they're all playing so well on this tour as well it's oh, just that's so wonderful brilliant. it must be a funny thing going solo because you have um this intense connection with with these other three people for so long and then going to try and find that connection with other people is is really strange because i've had that as well like joining other people to play um, my first band was with my my brother and my boyfriend, so I felt like, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't get any more close than that, really. So then yeah. playing with other people was, you know, was stepping away from family and trying to create these new connections is really interesting. Yeah, and I guess also not to, com- you know, not comparing. I don't think it was, um, yeah, I don't, I don't compare. I don't sort of look back to to, to how I had it at a certain point or how Supergrass were or. Mm. Or, or certain things that we did and, and you know it's um that was that and kind of and, and you know what I'm doing now is just a different thing and mm. with different people so there's no sort of no real reference point in a way to kind of tap into anything from from the past which is a cool thing it just means it's kind of a you know a fresh look you know it's a sort of blank canvas and um I kind of feed off the vibes of these people around me and mm. but it's still the gas band it's your songs. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah, well, you know, and, and um, yeah, and it's it's great. To, that's the that's the amazing thing is to be sort of work in the studio and and um, you know just get together all these kind of crazy ideas somehow, put them into a record, and and then they can translate them. And it's just uh, and quite often it's like you know I, whenever we get up to the live part, you know, the record's done, and it's like well, I need to make this work live. Um, maybe I have a few sessions and I, I go through the guys, you know, what I played on here and, and what the piano part was there. And and I played the drums on this record. So what the drum parts were for Mike and all this sort of thing. I kind of didn't really do that on this one. They, oh, they wow. sort of, they were all, I mean, you know, um, Nick and, and Garrow played on a lot of the record and and Angela and, and the other Roxies, they sang some, some bits anyway on, on the record. So they were kind of familiar, but, but I guess it was the stuff that they didn't do. Uh, that they didn't record, um, they just managed to just nail straight away, you know, because they just did. They're just so intuitive, and um, yeah, they just know my, they know my style now. So they know my, my approach. Yeah, so it's amazing, it's super cool. Can we talk a little bit about the new album? I've always thought that everything you do, you kind of have always kept your integrity in terms of sounding like you and not following any trends. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about the album and recording it and the writing process. I guess it came out of the touring for the previous record. Um, and yeah, it just got to that time, I guess, where where um, I was kind of done with performing for a bit and, and being on tour. So I wanted to, to get into some new ideas. I wasn't sure how that was going to work at that point. And then, and then the, the pandemic hit. Um, I'd sort of decided before the pandemic anyway to do some sort of studio space that I could move out of there so I could move out of the house and because um, the house was just always filled with gear and like sort of amps down sort of the hallways and yeah. <laughs> suddenly be like a Wurlitzer in the kitchen <laughs> and um, you know my wife and kids are like what's you know what is all this stuff everywhere <laughs> um, 
so I wanted to get things out of the house. And so I thought I'll just build something or, or convert this double garage opposite the house. So I was lucky enough to do that. I but build a friend who lived down the road from me and it was kind of around the first lockdown and, and all the work had dried up. And, and um, so, yeah, we just, we just managed to sort of set up the studio and it was, um, yeah, it's quite bonkers really within about 10 weeks it was done. And um, wow. So then I guess what's that like, you know, autumn of 2020, I went in and, and uh, it was the new space that was just sort of like really exciting. It was kind of like, well, you know, what should I do? What should I do with this space and where should I put things and, yeah. and how am I going to treat the drums and kind of found a nice corner for the drum kit and but really kind of uh, with a sort of low ceiling under a mezzanine. And then I kind of sort of boxed it because I really liked really super dry oh, me drum too. sounds. Have you ever used those um, drum tortillas that are just like, I guess they're so, sort of just like circle shaped pieces of fabric that you can put on your skin? They're amazing. No, I, do you know what? I haven't. And I keep meaning to get hold of some because I saw we played some gigs with um, with um, Last Shadow Puppets and um, uh, like a few years back. And I was asking the guy. Um, one of the guys about those because I noticed them on on the drum kit. Yeah. Um, no, they're really cool. Well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just tea towels. <laughs> they're really still, you know, the Ringo Ringo school. Yeah, I've yeah. been making them for my friends because. Um, oh, wicked! Yeah, well, I I can make you some if you want. If you send me, oh, the, I'd love that. If you send me the size of your drum skins, I'll um, wicked. I'll sell you some. I've been making them oh, with nice. like um, just for all of my drummer friends because. They sound, it makes everything sound like Fleetwood Mac or something. You know, it makes everything yeah. sound so dead. Brilliant. So what material are you using? I mostly just use cotton, but it's it'll be double, um, you know, like a double layer. And then, okay, it, yeah. yeah, it really deadens it. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then, yeah, I was just sort of, I mean, I had the option of putting drum kit in a big part of the room because it's like a vaulted ceiling. Um, so it's a really high sort of vaulted ceiling vibe which which is good for the bigger ambience but um yeah so all those kind of things were just really exciting like where's you know how am I gonna approach this and what does the room sound like and um I didn't do too much you know pro um you know uh, acoustics and stuff like that I just kind of put a lot of curtains up around the walls and I had loads of cool references I really love the sort of I really love the kind of garage studio and the sort of like a non-studio studio. There's no fitted studio furniture yeah, with sure. sort of, you know, nice shiny wood everywhere yeah. and stuff. It's all sort of um, freestanding, can be moved anywhere. Even the desk, it can, it can go, you know, and I've got a big 24 channel, big old desk, but it can still move wherever. You don't have um, the black couch in the back, the black leather couch. No, exactly. I didn't, no, it's just something I immediately didn't want to do. I mean, I've, I've been in so many studios and I love studios, but I, I sort of didn't want, I wanted something like, I don't know, sort of, I'd seen pictures of old sort of Motown studios. And, yeah. And um, yeah, and just kind of makeshift spaces. And, and um, I think that's really cool. So it was really fun building that space and um and then starting to work with the sounds and see what's happening. And, and that really sparks, a, you know, a big, um, a big sort of moment of energy, I guess. And, and, um, and so that's when I recorded Don't Say It's Over. I love that song. You've got that little um, arpeggiator in it that sound. I'm always like, as you can see, very into synths. So 
I always yeah. like tune into <laughs> little uh, synth lines, and you've got heaps of cool little synth lines on it. But that one sounded a bit like a one of those pretty guitar-y things or something, like a little arpeggio. Um, I think I've got a feeling. I got a feeling it was my Prophet Five, mm. but and I, and I think I played it, oh, um, wow. and then and then and then and then it, it was because it was that song in particular was on a grid, so yeah. I played it in and then sequenced um, it. made it into a part and then sequenced it manually, you know, in Pro Tools oh, and stuff. Because actually the Prophet, oh, I don't know, the Prophet 5 is just like, I think it's probably the greatest synthesizer ever made. It's very magic. Probably a whole other podcast where yeah, we can sort of like, <laughs> like sort of synth, synth top trumps. I'd be well up for that. <laughs> just kind of like, what's the... <laughs> I've done that before, actually. It's probably not super interesting for listeners. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, really um, nerdy, nerdy chat. Did you get one of the new Prophet Fives? No, I keep meaning to actually because I'd like to compare it. Because yeah. um, mine's a bit knackered actually. It's a bit knackered now and it's sort of lost its. It actually doesn't save at the moment. But I'm really scared of getting it fixed because I've had since fixed before and, mm. and people think they're doing the right thing, but then they're changing a little capacitor for a modern one. Yeah. Just little things and then it's never quite the same. So it's kind of half broken, my Prophet Five. But it. it it's you know i can get sounds out of it but i can't save any sounds yeah so every time we turn it on it starts from like silence yeah. <laughs> it's like nothing at all so it's like it's like factory like dead yeah i've got synths like that too and i turn it on and so then i have to then i have to start from the beginning to sort of get something up it's kind of cool because it means every time it's it's just a new I don't know, some kind of new sort of sound. It's never the same when I turn it on. And you're probably a, a real expert in programming it now if you have to program it every time from nothing. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, just just like these sort of seven knobs that you do yeah. within sort of 10 seconds, you've got a sound. <laughs> and it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. it's crazy. But. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, yeah, so, sorry, I interrupted you. So, you. so you recorded Don't Say It's Over first? Yeah, no, that was the first one to do, yeah. And um, yeah, I, I don't know, I guess, I, yeah. Listen back to the early recordings of it and thought, yeah, it's sounding great in this space. Mm. So then it just, yeah, it just um, pushed me on to, 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 to keep going. And, um, and then, you know, the record, I guess around that time, it was, you know, it was really odd, kind of weird time, wasn't it? You know, and, and the lockdowns and, and experiencing those kind of situations, all of us experiencing those situations for the first time was a strange thing you know and, and I was lucky to have my family you know to mm. be with my family and and be in a nice space and and um and and so I'd go to the studio every day and 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 then this record would I don't know just put ideas down and then it started to become like a mate you know and I'd kind of go and visit it every day and I, it would sort of yeah it would help me out it would I could sort of just um express whatever I wanted that day whether it was you know isolation or 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 hope or mm. you know the love of my family or, or all of these things it was kind of like a you know every record is 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 yeah is kind of a picture of how I view life at that point and and well, that sounds like an obvious thing to say but but yeah with, with this one I guess it was it was a, bit, a little bit more of a sort of smaller kind of view of, of everything a bit more enclosed and um a tighter view of of life at that point you know um albeit very much not not a not a not a lockdown record in in a, in a sense but um but yeah definitely became a good good friend yeah 
I feel the same way. I, I made an album during that time as well in this little room here, which is actually the oh, studio cool. outside of my house. And, um, Great. and you know, only about 20 metres away from the house and it's just enough to mm. go, I'm leaving the house, <laughs> see you in a bit. Mm. And, um, yeah. And it and it it was a real comfort for me. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I feel like ly- lyrically for for your record, there's so many beautiful motifs on it that do sound really hopeful. You know, it doesn't sound like you were depressed during the lyric writing. Well, yeah, I think I definitely stopped myself from, you know, I trashed some lyrics that were getting a bit like, you know, you know, that were a bit like, you know, what the fuck is going on? You know, I just. I mean, Overnight Trains has got a couple, you know, where it's kind of like, you know, you're wishing for like, just imagining sort of like, you know, driving along, you know, open road and, and you know, like kind of travelling and, and going on cool train journeys. And I don't know, just experiencing life, which was just taken away from all of us. Um, and so that that was a slight sort of pining for for things to kick, you know, to kick, kick back off again and stuff. But um, that, I think that was, other, other, other than that, I, I did, I sort of stopped myself from getting too into that stuff. You cut the fuck my life and everyone in it. Uh, off the yeah, every, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I fucking hate everything. <laughs> yeah, that would, actually, that's quite, that would have been quite a good song. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I actually, I noticed in, um, in Overnight Trains, there's that, um, that that lyric, like Summer Drives an Overnight Train, sounds so Harry Nilsson, that the way that you hold that note over that chord change, I feel like is a real Nilsson trick. Oh, that's cool. Did you feel like you were channeling Harry a bit? <laughs> I sort of always try and channel a little bit of Harry and everything. I, lo- I mean, I love his records. Yeah, me too. I love, I love how they're sort of so um, just irreverent at times and... And, and throw away and, and utterly beautiful and kind of heart wrenching and sort of everything really. I can see why him and him and Lennon hit it off yeah. so much in a way. And, and because also Lennon's records, solo records, were a big inspiration for me in 2012 when I started doing my own thing. Mm. I was listening to Plastic Ono band stuff. And, oh man, so and, good. Um, and um, and just just the don't know. I, I took real sort of inspiration from his sort of the way he would sort of just bleed and just let it all. Just let it all go on the record and just really kind of bleed all over it and, and cry on it and all these sort of things. And it's kind of um some it's in a weird way sometimes more than I heard him in the Beatles do it. And I think that expression was a was a big inspiration. It's kind of like just fuck it, you know, just do whatever you want. You know, if you want to have something that's like, I don't know, really super personal or um I don't know, whatever. It just, it's just like be free to to express. And it's like at the end, it's like at the end of the album recording and 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 the editing and, and the putting. You know, I can then edit and see it a little bit more, and then pull out shit that's just too. To just wait, sit in the wrong place. Um, I did that a few times with ideas, or I was writing new stuff, and it's like, no, I don't need something like that. I've already got, mm. I've already got trains. I've already got overnight trains, and that gives me that. So you start looking at it as a as a whole piece and yeah um so but but definitely at the start but I'm, I'm a real believer in no, you know, no pre-editing and um you know first takes as much as possible second really? takes really wow. R- record what record while i'm writing you know yeah. while i'm writing the idea while i'm testing sort of jumping out just record everything and then i often use the sort of earliest stuff yeah which is where i don't 
quite know what it what the idea is yet and i kind of really like that part of writing i think that's where you get little magical moments where you haven't quite formed the idea yet and you're still like is it what is it what's you know surprise yourself while you're on record <laughs> yeah well it's that's it and um i don't know just maybe it's the way my my sort of brain works i sort of Oh, maybe it's just when I'm working on my own. It's different. It's different. I think if I'm writing with other people, or if it's um, if there's other people around, basically. But if I'm on my own, I, I kind of need time to think about it. Mm. I need time to, you know, um, process what I've just done. So I might like turn the car around. I had, I found that tuning first. I was just looking. I think I was listening to um, to Daniel uh, Rosen EP. Mm. Uh, Dan, Dan wrote from Grizzly Bear. He's yeah. great. His solo stuff's brilliant. And I was listening to um, one of his EPs and just loving the guitar sound. Sometimes like the tuning is a bit odd, and and just sometimes little things like that just just trigger something. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna have a little mess around with this tuning, and and fa- and came came across something that was kind of interesting, and then started hitting the chords for Turn the Car, but they weren't. It wasn't fully formed yet. So, um, but it was all recorded, and then I kind of go back and listen to it. And, and yeah, you need just having a bit of space and I think, no, it's got to go there. That's where it's got to go. So it's not like things are written like really super quick. And mm. I mean, sometimes they are, you know, yeah, sometimes yeah. you get the odd, the odd track that just comes out of nowhere. But um, it's the crafting of an idea I find. It sort of suits my head. I like the sort of thinking about it and the sort of puzzle yes. of it and, and the, the science of it. Do you do like a mumble track or like a vibe yeah. vocal or something? Probably like ninety percent of the time, I do. Um, I do a sort of gobbledygook track, here. yeah. <laughs> um, because the melody—it's like the melody comes really early. It's yeah. just like another instrument in a way for me. So the melody usually comes quite early, and and then it's then that is the case of getting it, getting the melody down before I forget it. Yes. But within that first little nonsense take, um, there's always like a couple of lines definitely always every every time there's a couple of lines you know like i think the words overnight trains just came out yeah in um in that sort of you know trash track and so um again it, yeah it's another example yeah the subconscious kind of like giving it giving it to me helping me out yeah because you know, yeah. i love that i i've sometimes it's so interesting what just falls out of your brain you're like oh mm. what where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, and when you try and write something down, it's just nothing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a slightly I don't know it's a weird approach I guess, but but I do like that because it's kind of almost like yeah, your subconscious comes up with something, and then again, it's like when you've got like the sort of heart of an idea, then then the work begins. You know. Mm. So it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is like yeah, try and make it not like work as much as possible when it's creating something. Yeah. It can't be sort of work or a job. Yeah. It's got to just be like. be fun. This has to, this has to, or yeah, this has to come out in whatever way. This, um, and then, and then like the work begins to sort of, you know, make it a record. Yeah. Do you have a um, go-to instrument? Like a, when you go into the studio, it was always different. Yeah, I think it's always different. I like to start with bass a lot. Bass is kind of, I think bass might be one of my favourite instruments. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah, bass, piano, mm. and it's good. Sometimes I feel like a, an instrument is like a comfy pair of pants or something where you just want to, you have your go-tos. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. I've got it's like my Hoffner's like that, my Hoffner bass. Um, it's sort of, I've got a really old, yeah, it's so lovely. It's like an old '64, oh, you know, like Macca's bass. Yeah, and it's just, it's just so playable. It's so easy. Got a tiny little thin little neck. Oh, great! And um, just I can just play it for hours. And yeah, little riffs are good, good like that. It depends what mood I'm in, you know. I might just go and sit on the drums and and maybe, you know, if they're already mic'd up, just get a drum sound together. And quite like drum sounds. I like kind of getting just something that in my headphones when I'm playing, it's kind of like, wow, that's kind of, that's quite surgy. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Well, that's just like, sounds like um, the drums on Remember by John Lennon or something, the um, like hi-hatty. And, and I just get off on that sort of stuff. So now I just sit for a while and find a beat. And, and then, and then it's like it's jamming with yourself. And then I go listen to that beat, and then I plug the bass in and start. Yeah, playing and um, take it from there. Some of your drum beats. I don't know if you play drums on all of your solo records, but no, not all of them. Yeah, I'm not a great drummer at all, but I can hold a beat. You know, my problem is is when I get to filled, and I get and it's time for a fill. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've been doing the beat really well, and it's really time. And I go for a fill, and I kind of fall down the <laughs> stairs, and it's like. And then it's like, thank God for Pro Tools. Yeah. Um, I can I can pretend, and I'll do a fill later on. It was really good. I'll use that one instead. But so yeah, you know, I'm I you know I I, I love drumming, but um, it's um, and I really like I'm a real nerd as well. I really like drum editing. Mm. I find it so sort of I just get really I zoned out on it. Yeah, I quite like it too. Meditative, meditative, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I use a lot of electronic sounds. So I use, I do a lot of sequencing, but I really find myself sometimes getting lost in the, you know, have I, I've just been listening to kick drums for 45 minutes. <laughs> what, right. what am I doing with yeah. my life? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's fun. It's all just the create, the creating sort of stuff. I just, yeah, really enjoy that side of it. Yeah. Do you think the secret maybe is just, never thinking that your best ideas are behind you yeah i don't think absolutely yeah i don't think i don't think i'm ever fully um convinced you know mm. that there's nothing that there's not something great to come i think our voices can change throughout life as well so it's almost like the kind of phrase you know finding your voice it's sort of that that can it's quite transient in a way it's like i think you can find your voice many many times through life and you know find your style or you know um so uh yeah who knows if there's still something to come that's that ends up like you know that i think oh that that really defines me you know <laughs> i um, think there will be <laughs> oh. can we talk a, a tiny bit about like um when you first started playing music when you were little and and what your household was like in terms of what music was playing and funny enough i i, I saw some old uh, uh video camera footage of a, a christmas morning when i was a kid my dad had some old footage and this, I think this was through lockdown and kind of looking at watching stuff. And I found this Christmas morning where I got, um, uh, I got a Walkman for Christmas, which is kind of pretty amazing uh, presents. Yeah. Uh, and it was really funny. I don't remember getting it particularly. I don't really remember that Christmas too much. Um, but in, it was quite mad. You know, the camera was going around the room. My dad's filming everyone. You know, my younger brother was being really wacky and like obviously like overexcited and <laughs> and um, sugar to the max and all that sort of stuff. And uh, 
I don't know. And then my mum was being all sort of, you know, fun and, and kind of enjoying herself. And it sort of panned around to me and I was kind of looking at this cassette player and headphones on, just kind of in my own world, sort of. <laughs> I thought, well, shit, was I a weird kid? You know, no, <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember sort of. But, but yeah, it was kind of quite, and I don't know, that was the moment for me which I sort of thought, oh, yeah, I guess I was just sort of. And then when I do remember kind of getting into buying my first music and or having my first little stereo system in my bedroom, it was quite, yeah, I was quite obsessive about it, really. That's awesome. And what was playing at the house, though? Did you have, like, things that, that made you love music from an early age? Yeah, well, um, my mum had Beatles records and stuff, yeah. Mm. Um, so I remember I remember Sgt Pepper, really. That's one of my earliest memories, I think, of fun. And, I mean, not, not the greatest track at all on the album, but for the benefit of Mr Kite, was, was sort of... I'd, I don't know if I could quite put it down to being my earliest musical memory, but it's just, it's, it's, it's definitely up there, I think. Um, I think kids really love that song because it's so playful. Yeah, it must have been that. It must have been that. And then I didn't obviously sort of appreciate the rest of the record until probably a few years, well, good few years after that, you know, when you kind of hit 10, 11, 12 or whatever. And, and, um, and then older brothers as well. So I remember hearing Dark Side of the Moon when I was like sort of nine, 10 years old. And mm. wow, Jesus. What a record. Um, and then equally stuff at the time, my, my, my oldest brother, Ed, uh, he was really into a lot of the, you know, the Thames Valley music scene of the sort of late 80s and um, or mid to late 80s, you know, Chapter House and, and then Ride came out. And, but then, you know, yeah, Pixies and, and, and Spaceman 3 for me. Spaceman 3 were huge as a sort of 12-year-old for me. I really oh, wow. got into that. And um, then the Manchester stuff, Stone Roses, Happy Mondays hit at just the right time, 13, 14. Um, I think that was probably, yeah. I mean, we'd started, me and Danny had started playing stuff when we were 12. Was that the Jennifers already? That it was, was before the Jennifers, yeah, before that even, yeah, more of a school, yeah, when, when we were, you know, because um, the Jennifers was sort of like 15 years old, you know, that's... We, we signed it. We're so young. Yeah, I signed a little deal. It was amazing. So I signed a two, wow. s- two single deal, nice and committed of the uh, label. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to sign you for two singles. We really, listen, we really believe in you. You're going to go a long way. Okay. We're going to sign you for two singles. <laughs> You're probably really excited. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of songs were you playing like when you first started, when you first started playing with Danny? Um, it was kind of well cover 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 versions. I mean, a lot of Smiths, mm. The Cure, uh, Dinosaur Junior. Um, we used to love mm. playing Freak Scene. That was one of our favourites. Oh to play. yeah, well Freak Scene's so easy because it's just like D E minor A or something. I know, it? I know. I think that was one of my first songs too. Yeah, and it was definitely a template for for what was to come. I think you know with Supergrass, you know yeah. that kind of um, that songwriting and on and obviously early Cure as well and how how simple Robert Smith's um those some of those um those songs like um you know catch and we I remember we played catch quite a lot and i really loved playing um fire in cairo that was my oh, yeah. favorite <laughs> yeah that's a good such one such a good song yeah definitely good 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 guitar parts and and not too complicated to learn and all that sort of stuff yeah uh, but we were we were writing as well you know sort of 12 year olds and Writing really crap songs, and, and <laughs> I think I wrote a song called "A Place in Birmingham." <laughs> like terrible titles. Just I don't know what it. And um, 
What else? Do you remember it? Harvey the Accountant. <laughs> just like the character we made up and um, uh, the girl with the removable, removable face. Whoa. That was quite a good one. That's quite punky. Uh, what that was, was that one about? Danny, 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 <laughs> I think Danny started that one. Was that a love song? Yeah. Yeah. It was um, it's about a girl with a removable face. Can't anybody see the girl with a removable face? I think she fancies me. <laughs> yeah, so it was a love song. Maybe a song of hope, mm-hmm. hope for some love. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, we, we'd write some silly songs. And, um, That's great. Yeah. It's so funny thinking about that. Like, obviously everyone starts simple, but I, but I feel like what Supergrass ended up being was quite complicated. I mean especially like your you know second third fourth records um there's a lot of suspended chords in there i watched a video online where you were teaching someone how to play richard the mm. third there's so many complex things happening in that song and even like some blues licks and stuff between chords mm. did that just come from just playing guitar a lot or did you want to try to complicate things a bit more to make it more interesting or? I think it was just the, the musicality of the band, you know, we were all sort of multi-instrumentalists, you know, we could all play each other's instruments. So uh, I've never really, really thought to analyse it much, but, you know, the first record was, was definitely from the early demos that we made, you know, in a small bedroom with all of our, you know, amps turned on, Danny's loud cymbals and, I think we kind of forged the sort of sound of our own from our environment and um, from being in that tight space and just playing fast and playing hard. Um, mm. And I think we managed to hone that into an amazing first record. And, and you know, that one particularly, I think it's just something, some, it was just quite magic, really, mm. what happened. And the second one, um, I think it was just, yeah, maybe, you know, we went into the production more on our own and we didn't want to repeat the first record. So those were two sort of parameters that were already set in a way. Um, and then, and then, then as soon as you're working on your own a bit more and, and you know, the t- it, was, it was, you know, mad times back then, you know, in just the residential studios and, and, and the, the label money and stuff, you could, you could just hang out and, in a residential for, for for weeks and weeks and and just have fun and just create and so you know yeah and we didn't have a producer kind of like on us kind of like come on yeah, you know yeah. let's get, get snappy so we could we could sort of expand a little bit I guess and and then you know and then you tap into other reference points and and it's mm. you know influences and um you know Abbey Road era Beatles and, and, and White Album era and, and you know zapper and stuff and, and beef heart and, and just things that i guess are a bit more kind of technical and, and complicated and mm. um so maybe just just that slight evolution in in our in our influences and you know it's 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 hard to sort of pin down but um from an outsider's perspective back then you know i was i was listening to a lot of like brit pop music i know that you guys always sort of fought against that brit pop label mm. And to you know, to someone who was just reading the enemy and listening to uh, to Supergrass and Blur and stuff was, it did seem really magical, and it did seem like you're all just sort of like a community of buddies. I know that's probably not you know now that I'm a bit older and wiser, I can see that's probably no, not we what hated happened. Hated each other. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, no, I can see that. No, and it's and it's just you know it's one thing that with you know a bit of hindsight and looking back, you, know, you see it it, it. it did all of, all of those bands, you know, a lot of fame. You know, the Britpop sort of label, you know, went global. It's mm, kind of um, it really did. Yeah, you know, when you sort of package it like that, it's sort of it's also you know it's kind of it's just a double edged sword. It, it gets really annoying, you know, but it's just it's it's the vehicle that 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 means you go to sort of play mad sold out shows in Tokyo and, and Australia yeah. and, um, you know, all over the world. So it's, 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 I don't know. I didn't, I didn't, it didn't really sort of fight it, but we didn't sort of embrace being a Britpop band. It was a bit, I don't know. Like I said, we, we sort of understood it was, it was doing us a lot of good, but um, I don't know, maybe we were just, we could just see the big picture of our band that nobody else could. Mm. I think we, we saw that that we were we we weren't definable. It, we, it, even in our own eyes, we were sort of like we could we could be anything, and we could go on to do anything. Um, and and to be part of the Britpop thing, you know, surely means you know playing some sort of playing the game to some degree, and um, and and making the most of you know capitalising. Got to do on it. the Britpop thing, and and I don't know. We never really wanted to do that. We just wanted to do our own thing. Well, yeah, you guys always seemed like you were too nice for it too. From someone in Australia, I always thought that Blur and Oasis were sort of pricks to other bands and other celebrities, and you guys, you guys were always very nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose that's the only. Yeah, that's. I think that's one of the one of the the plots, you know, or the the downsides to that whole sort of era was the sort of lad culture yeah yeah that sort of lad culture is never never really part of our sort of makeup and um so we were quite sort of chilled out sort of just liked a little smoke and from, yeah. from a little village and <laughs> yeah. kind of just really into music and and um so yeah it's a strange time it was a brilliant time but then also kind of like yeah just a bit not embarrassed but it's just a bit like yeah it's a little bit some of that stuff was a bit shady back then. Well, yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's like that for everyone looking back on, um, you know, that the band that supported you guys. I I feel like I can't even listen to that music. You know, it's just so so different to to my makeup now. Yeah, I can imagine if that if that was happening in the limelight, it that would be really strange. You know. Yeah, but you know, we we had really good friends. You know, and good family, good families. You know, my. You know, yeah, I had a great relationship with you know my parents and and my my you know my mum especially you know, mm. um, and well, no, not <laughs> sounds really bad, not not my dad, but but I, I was you know really super and she's and she's not here now, and I just yeah. remember being super close to her and um, yeah, and you know that that sort of changes how you are a little bit, you know. If I rolled up home, you know, in a stretch limo, sort of <laughs> falling out, you know. Cocaine around my nose, <laughs> you know. She'd just be like, "For fuck's sake, go, yeah. go away! You're not, you're not coming <laughs> here if you like that." You yeah. know, and, and you just—I don't know—you just don't. I don't. Yeah, I just felt like I didn't want to, didn't want to sort of live like that. You know, of course, be too kind of, you know, try and get the headlines and stuff in the in the in the red tops and all that shit. You know, yeah. it just was never, never something that interested me. Still doesn't. Well, yeah, that's. I think that's a beautiful thing. Just, um, I, I, you know, I always did love reading those stories about, you know, like the the Spielberg story, which I'm sure you've told a thousand 
a thousand billion times. Yeah, um, I mean, we had some mad stuff happened. Believe me, we had we had a <laughs> we had a yeah. It's been a mad old life. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but I, you know, I'm glad that yeah, there was you know scruples were always intact. You know, and, and um, you know. Well, yeah, just, there's something to be said for. I mean, I I obviously don't know how it went down, but but saying no to uh, doing a TV show. Um, with Spielberg and modeling contracts and and all this stuff that saying no to those things I think showed a, a great sense of integrity too you know just to to keep doing what you're doing and, and not get distracted by all this other crazy mm. stuff yeah I maybe that I never saw the you know I don't know if this is like a not necessarily a great trait like maybe a negative <laughs> trait but I never saw the sort of opportunity in or I never I never felt like being an opportunist about it or just mm. like, this could be great for my career. Yeah. Did, like saying that <laughs> sentence. I maybe, I don't know if I've ever said that sentence. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. It, it's not, I don't know. It's a weird one. I, 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 I haven't worked it all out yet. I'll probably, when I get older, and I'll be able to... You'll be like, shit, I wish I'd done the fucking Spielberg <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, it's weird. It's, it's a really weird one, but... I mean, more than modelling sort of shit and the Calvin Klein stuff and all that. It was a bit yeah. like, it was a bit, it sounded like, it was a bit sort of like, what? I mean, you, <laughs> you sort of feel like, that's quite mad. And then, you know, you tell your parents and tell your mates and everyone goes, what? That's mental. <laughs> you know, and uh, and it's a good story. And then, but it's just sort of like, but actually, do I want to go in that direction? Mm. You know, it will change a lot. And I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. I think I, I, I knew that, the road that we were on, it was kind of important to sort of keep that where it was, and and not in terms of size. You know, I mean, we were, you know, let's let's make brilliant records and do bigger gigs, and you know, the ambition mm. is always there, and the ambition's still there for me. You know, to to make the best thing I've ever done, and for it to go fucking nuts everywhere. You know, I'd love yes. that. I'd still resist all of the all of the appearances and the yeah. kind of, you know, the my magazine article or whatever, I'd probably still resist all of that. But yeah. it's almost like I want their music to be fucking huge. And, of course. And I can just still sort of hang out and do my thing. I think I've read that um that you have shyness but not fear, which I, I really loved, um, that concept of not ha- not having a fear about putting yourself out there but, protecting yourself a little bit you know i'd say that's probably about right yeah i mean i you know any you know there's some incredible things i've done with with, even on performance stuff you know and you know playing guesting at wembley stadium with yeah with dave Grohl and everyone for for that incredible taylor tribute night and stuff and i was on stage with stuart copeland and Nile rogers bonkers and, and and it's like singing in front of all those you know but it's mad. I love. I loved it. I loved it, and and I, I didn't have any nerves or anything. I didn't. Amazing. Um, it's just you know those sort of things. I I, I think it's also because you just tap into experience and you just think, yeah, okay, there has been a lot of moments like that where it's been something big, and I have been freaking out a bit before for a few days, a bit anxious, and you know, my wife would, would tell you that it's like you know, often you know. I'd sort of just say, oh shit, I think it's going to be all right. Yeah. Start, what if, you know, what if I fuck it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and this, this up from whatever and this and that so there's anxiety for sure oh, for sure yeah but when it when it when the moment sort of arrives it's weird mm. you know and it's like i guess it's like fight or, or, or flight and i i like the fight and um, i actually really get quite excited by that bit me too and, um, and then it always works really well and i and i and Gaz always does good, and uh, you know, and then and then um, and then you just tap into that next time, and you see, yeah, yeah, last time it was it was totally cool. But there's definitely shitload of anxiety that, that hangs around beforehand for the for the, the previous for the days leading up to it. I have a thing about saying yes to things that frighten me a little bit, and they always go fine. You know, they always go yeah, fine. That's it. Um, that's my best it. friend made me a little cross stitch uh, that just said fuck oh it went fine as one word which is uh, yeah, completely nice. <laughs> completely yeah, yeah, what yeah. happens every time i can really i can totally relate <laughs> to that i'd i'd hang that in my studio any day of the week hey um i'm gonna ask you my last question which is the question that i ask everyone can you tell me what is your strangest show experience or just the strangest thing that's happened to you because you're a musician well I don't know, it's hard to sort of pick one. Well, you know, I reckon maybe what one of this well, one of the stupidest was actually quite early on. Um and it was when we were in the Jennifer's actually. We played a university um somewhere up north uh, in England. And um had a friend of ours, Ozzy, who was uh who was the guitar tech and driver and sort of did he did everything actually, sort of. And um and we found backstage, we found a, like one of those, uh, like box trolleys, yeah. you know, these sort of load boxes onto it. And then we just, I think we just got a bit stoned before the gig and thought it would be a good idea to, if he, if Ozzy like wheeled me on, if I was stood on this box trolley <laughs> and he kind of wheeled, and I had my guitar like that, <laughs> and I was like a statue, just ready to go. And he wheeled me on and then sort of dropped me off and I step off the, box trolley and we go right hey, one two three four <laughs> and we just planned it all out to be this amazing entrance um yeah like bowie or something <laughs> like, why the fuck bowie would never like walk, like be wheeled on in a box trolley but we don't know just sort of delusional kids um yeah and so we sort of it's going well and that's the side of the stage start pushing me on and i sort of we didn't really sort of factor in the guitar cable oh no that was obviously plugged in because I was, I was supposed to jump off and then go straight in. <laughs> and as he was wheeling me on, the guitar kid got caught up in the, in the wheel. No. And then it was sort of just like veering around the stage. And then he was like bending down, trying to kind of move it, move it away from the wheel. And, and I just, you know, just sort of fell off it a bit and sort of stumbled off it. And then, and then went, um, hi, everyone, we're the Jennifers. <laughs> very, <laughs> it was like, very spinal tap, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was horrible. It was terrible. And that was, that was when we, yeah, we never messed with props ever again after that. That's such a great story. Yeah, good, 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 bad times, good, weird, bad times, great times. <laughs> yeah. Well, the reason why I started this podcast was just to collect these stories because I had a hell show um, opening for Goldfrap where all of my instruments broke and it started really weird actually had this massive um silver donut which just looked like a big silver anus that she would like enter the stage through <laughs> and was she aware of how it came across i don't or? know it just really looked like a big silver anus 
and, Amazing. And, the, and the show started sort of terribly. I went to walk on stage and the only walk on was through this anus really. Everything else was sort of blocked off by instruments and stuff and um, wow. the crew was like, you are not to walk through the thing. The anus. Like, well, <laughs> I was like, it's the only way on stage. Anyway, but yeah, everything broke and it was really horrible. Oh. But then I went to, um, I went out for a hot chocolate with my friends who were there who were also musicians and they told me all of their worst show stories and it, we laughed so hard that Brilliant. now I just want to collect them because it happens to every, everyone has something crazy that's happened to them. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, totally. Oh, that's such a cool idea. Yeah. <laughs> that's a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, Gaz. It was so nice to talk to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. So I'm a bit sort of foggy today. I just had a, had a big gig last night yeah. in, in Melbourne. And it was, uh, I was up very early in the morning doing, like, I was on breakfast telly as well yesterday. Oh, no. So it was a long day. Yeah. And, um, I woke up this morning kind of a bit late actually and I just felt like I'd just been hit by a truck. Oh no. Um no, it's fine. I mean I'm you know, I'm not ill, but I'm just like, yeah, this is it's like halfway through the tour thing. I and, get it, yeah. But at least the jet lag's gone. It was an amazing show. Uh, the Melbourne crowd were like was so nice. It's all good. Oh, I might get good. A, yeah, little afternoon nap. Yeah, I was gonna say have a nap and then have a cup of tea and a bicky and What's on today? Are you doing another Robbie show uh, or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robbie support today. Uh, yeah, I think it's actually yeah, it's a thirty-five minute set today. It's actually that's quite. Oh, that's so. That's good. quite tidy. Yeah, mm. you can really hit your stride and then leave. <laughs> yeah, I quite like that sprint. Yeah, hundred meter sprint. Yeah, yeah, rather than the fifteen hundred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I hope you have a beautiful Wicked. show. And um, oh, thank you. It's so lovely to meet you. Yeah, you too. Enjoy your little burns. Oh, look. I wonder if I can make it sort of look like I've got a guitar on, but then I've got massive hands. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. Um, thank you. Yeah, Amazing. I really tried to make one that you own. I know you've got a. I think the one that you played on that tour back in two thousand had like a burst. It might have been like a different one, but. Oh yeah, there was a different one actually, but no, this I got I got rid of that. This is hanging. Uh, this yeah, this guitar is hanging in the studio. It's a bit of a yeah, it's a bit of a classic. Thank you again. So oh, much. it's great. To, yeah, great to chat with you. Thank you for having See me. Yeah, bye. Bye.